We're in the book of Philippians. It's great to be back after a week away at, um, uh, up in Alaska. Had a great time there, but uh, uh, I especially missed you last Sunday. Missed being with what feels like my church family. And uh, it was just different, being at worshiping in a different church and... Uh, um, but I'm so glad to be back with you today and be in the book of Philippians. Uh, a little bit of background on this uh, city of Philippi. Uh, back in the year 350 B.C., uh, King Philip became the emperor of the Greek Empire. He was one of its greatest administrators and uh, one of the world's great uh, military leaders, he was surpassed only by his son, Alexander the Great. But King uh, Philip uh, came to this town that he thought was a very strategic location and he he took it as his own, had a great uh, uh, route between Asia and Europe, went, went right through there. Plus, it had gold mines, which were used to uh, build up his military forces and enable his, his success. And so, uh, he took this city and he named it after himself, in all humility, of course, calling it Philippi, after King Philip. Um, Eventually, the gold mines ran out, and this would have been a perhaps uh, just uh, not well-known city had something else not significant happened in the future. And that is the assassination of Julius Caesar. When Julius Caesar was assassinated, the Roman Empire fell into disarray as uh, several, uh, a number of people were wanting to ascend to the throne to be the next emperor. And um, Augustus came to Philippi tracking down Cassius and Brutus, who had been the leaders in assassinating Julius Caesar. And Cassius and Brutus had set up camp there at Philippi. And so here comes Augustus with the Roman legions, and Philippi has a choice to make. They can either side with Cassius and Brutus and their forces or with Augustus and his forces. They chose Augustus. And they joined their forces with him and defeated Cassius, Brutus, who were executed. And then Augustus becomes the emperor. Well, he never forgot what Philippi did for him in that crucial moment. And so he named Philippi a Roman colony, a very unusual thing to do. So even though it's a city in northern Greece, it becomes a colony of Rome. In other words, it's just as if it were in Italy, a a Roman city. It had all the rights and privileges of a Roman city. All its citizens were immediately given Roman citizenship. They, they were given the privilege of not having to pay any taxes at all. In response, they decided to take on 
uh, Roman culture and Roman dress and uh, the Roman way of life, even learned Latin, the Roman language. And they erected a temple to Caesar. They were fiercely loyal to Rome and very proud of being Roman citizens. And so it's into this setting that Paul introduces the real leader, the real king of kings. And the question for them would be, well, who would be the real leader in their lives? Who would they follow? Who would be their Lord? And that's the same kind of question that we have before us today. Who is really the leader in our life? Who's, who's king of our heart? Who do we follow? And we are going to be following the shepherd of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul introduces to them the shepherd. He had been there 10 years before uh, sharing the gospel. Many had come to be saved. We talked about several of them particularly like Lydia, the seller of purple, the slave girl who was saved, the Philippian jailer and so forth. Now he's writing back to them, Philippians 1.1. 1, 1, it says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. He writes to all the saints. <clears throat> well, how does a person become a saint? What does it mean to be a saint? Well, the, the word translated saint here is the same word that's translated other places, holy. It's based on hagios, a Greek word, Sometimes translated holy, sometimes translated saint, depending on the context. If it's referring to a person, then it's often they're a saint. We don't usually use that term anymore, but it was, it was something uh, back in the New Testament times to speak of believers. Anyone who had their sins removed were holy because if you believe in Jesus Christ, his death pays for all your sins. So from God's perspective, you are declared to be holy. And we know in our own lives that we are not holy, that we are not perfect. But God declares us to be holy. And so in that sense, we are saints or holy ones, which is what saints means. So to all the holy ones, in other words, in Philippi. So according to Scripture, every believer is a saint declared holy by God. And um, we are also all part of his kingdom. If you jump over to chapter 3, verse 20. Paul reminds us this, Philippians 3.20, For our citizenship is is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This would be significant to them because the Philippians of all people so prided themselves that they were citizens of Rome, even though they lived in Greece. Paul is saying, no, you are you're citizens of heaven and you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
It's to all the saints in Christ Jesus. I love the way Paul words this. To all the saints in Christ Jesus. It's like he's saying effectively, Philippi may be your mailing address, but Jesus Christ is your permanent address. Philippi may be where you live temporarily, but heaven and in Christ is your permanent, eternal home. You're in Christ Jesus. This is where your life belongs. This is where your heart belongs, in Christ Jesus. So as a believer, as one made holy by his death and resurrection, you are in Christ Jesus. And this happens to be one of Paul's favorite phrases. He uses it over 150 times throughout his writings, uh, worded variously like uh, in the Lord or in Christ or in Christ Jesus. Is a phrase loaded with the gospel. And I love the way that Vincent describes this. He wrote that a Christian lives in Christ like the roots of a tree live in the soil. Like a bird lives in the air. Like a fish lives in the water. A Christian is always and everywhere encircled with the presence of Jesus Christ. As he said, I am with you always. I will never leave you or forsake you. He is always with us and in us, and therefore we are in him. And nothing will ever separate us from him. We are in Christ Jesus. So, Jesus is the great shepherd. And Colossians 1.18 reminds us that he is the head of the body, the church, so that in all things he might have the preeminence or the, the first place. He's the undisputed leader, master, Lord of the church. And we bow before him. Every decision we make needs to be in accordance with his word and his will. His word rules. And this book, the Bible, supersedes every thought, other book, or opinion that man might have. God rules through his spirit and through his word to direct us. And he is our Lord. If someone were to ask you, Who's the leader of your church? You should say, Jesus Christ. He's the leader of our church. He's the Lord. He's the one that we follow. Now, Jesus is with us spiritually, and we are in him, but he's not with us physically. So he has ordained uh, two offices by which he leads the church as if they were his hands and feet and voice. And so he says uh, in verse 1, To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. These are the only 
to official offices ordained by God. Now, there may be others that we come up with. Um, you might have uh, someone who's a Sunday school superintendent or um, team leader or something like this, or VBS director or some kind of other leadership position, and those are good to have for, for the uh, functioning of a church, but only two offices are biblically designated, and that is elders and deacons. So we ought to think about this a little bit today as Paul is addressing not only those saints, but the, in particular the bishops or overseers and the deacons. Um, these are the leaders that the Lord of the church has ordained. Um, these leaders are guided by the Holy Spirit, dependent on the Word of God and seeking to do the will of God. So let's think about them a little bit. First of all, the under-shepherds. The Lord himself is the great shepherd of the church. He's, he's the undisputed leader. But he works through under-shepherds. And he calls them by various names throughout the New Testament. Here we have the, the word bishop or overseers. Bishop is the older word and overseer is a bit newer translation, and I think a more accurate translation. But notice that wherever this word, or any of the words for this office occur, it's always in the plural. The New Testament never envisioned a single leader who would be the sole uh, leader of the church. But it's always plural, always a group of men who, who are, are leaders together. So, um, to the, the bishops or overseers. Now, this actually comes from the Greek word episkopos. And I don't normally trouble you with the Greek words, but this has some special uh, meaning for us. I think, uh, first of all, uh, what church do you think comes from this word? Episkopos. Episcopalian, right? Exactly. They come directly from this word. But if we divide the word up a little bit to see what it means, the word epi, E-P-I at the beginning, that, that just means like over. And uh, skopos is a great Greek word for scoping out something. It's where we get our word scope, like telescope or microscope, skopos. And so epi, skopos is the Greek word, and it means to over see and skopos is not just uh, to see something there's another greek word for that but skopos has the idea of looking intently at and so this is uh overseers are those who who are intently overseeing the body life of the church and carefully intently looking over and giving oversight of the church. This is uh, one of the words used for this office. Another word that is sometimes used for this office is the word shepherd. Uh, and a shepherd is uh, meant to tend the sheep, to, to know the state of the sheep. How are the sheep doing? To, to feed the sheep, to protect the sheep. That's what a shepherd would do, 
And it's the same thing in the church. This group of men have this kind of function as well of taking care of the sheep and making sure that they are fed and they're protected from false doctrine or other things. Another word that is uh, used one time is the word pastor. I put a question mark in your notes there because that word only occurs one time in the entire Bible. It's in Ephesians 4.11. And even there, it is a mistranslation. I noticed that the ESV, in fact, had the courage to translate it shepherd. Because that is what the word means. That word is translated shepherd every other time it's used in the New Testament, except for Ephesians 4.11, where for some reason it was translated pastor. And that's a mistranslation. If it had not had that translation back in 1611, I wonder if we would even think in terms of a pastor today. There's a, um, linguistically, there's an interesting connection in that the French word for shepherd is pasteur, as in Louis Pasteur. Pasteur means shepherd. And so I wonder if somehow that got mixed in with this. That, uh, um, but it's really the word shepherd. And then the word elder. Elder is the most common word used for, for men in this office. Uh, and so, it's a word from presbyteros. In time, the U there became a Y, and it became presbyteros. Can you guess which church is named after that? Yes, indeed, Presbyterian. <clears throat> and <clears throat> so, <clears throat> excuse me, ah, got my water here. Right, Presbyterian. And it's an, it's an elder uh, from uh, the Old Testament idea of elders who were the, the recognized leaders of families and uh, clans and tribes, the elders. And these became the elders, the leaders of the church. Now, back in Acts chapter 20, verse 17 says that Paul called the elders of the church at Ephesus to meet him in Miletus. Acts 20, 17. Then Acts 20, 28, I believe is in your notes there. He says to the elders, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Notice how all three words are used of the same group of men. So he writes to the elders. He says um, that the Holy Spirit has made you overseers and then to shepherd the church of God. So all three are used there showing that it's the same group uh, called by various names. Usually the way this is explained is elder means that's who they are, elder. Overseer, that's what they do. They 
oversee the, the spiritual life, health, and ministry of the church, overseers. And then shepherd is how they do it. Like a shepherd caring for the sheep, loving the sheep, feeding the sheep, tending the sheep. So elder is who they are. Overseer is what they do. Shepherd is how they do it. Look a little bit closer at this verse, Acts 20, 28. Paul writes to the elders, he says, first of all, take heed to yourselves. The spiritual leaders of the church need to, first of all, take heed to themselves. We need to guard our own hearts and lives and spiritual well-being. There, we, we as elders cannot lead you if we are not right with the Lord. And so, first of all, take heed to yourselves. I was recently flying on a plane, of course, going to Alaska and back, and you know how the, um, they, they will give you the instructions for um, buckling your seatbelt and all these things, and, and if this oxygen mask falls down from above you, what are you supposed to do? Panic! That's what I'm going to do. If that thing falls down, I'm panicking. They say, if you're traveling with a young child, you, you first put it on yourself and then them. Because you have to, for you to be able to really help them, you've got to be able to have the oxygen yourself. So it's the same kind of thing here. Therefore, take heed to yourselves, first of all, to make sure that we as elders are right with the Lord, in tune with Him and with His heart. And then, to all the flock. To all the flock. Every one of the sheep is dear to God. And the elders are to take heed to them to make sure that they are doing well spiritually. Among which, notice this, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Who is it that makes them the leaders of the church? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers. This is not just the the work of man or the decision of men. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. He has made you overseers. To do what? To shepherd. To shepherd the church of God. And a reminder here, which he purchased with his own blood. A reminder to us that the church belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. He bought it at a price. He shed his blood to save us and to bring us into his church, into his body. So, a reminder of he purchased us with his own blood. So these are the the bishops, overseers, shepherds, elders. He also mentions here the deacons in verse 1, with the bishops or overseers and deacons. Basically, the, the word deacon is based on the Greek word for a servant. And Paul himself refers to himself as a servant of 
Jesus Christ or a slave of Christ, a bondservant. It was honorable to be a, a servant of Christ. Deacons are only mentioned a few times. They're mentioned here in Philippians 1.1. They're mentioned in 1 Timothy 3 where we're given the, um, the qualifications for an elder and then the qualifications for deacons. And that's the only two places they're mentioned except for maybe Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. So if you turn back there, Acts chapter 6, this is usually considered to be the uh, beginning or the prototype deacons. Although they're not called deacons there, the word diakona, diakonia is used because it just means to serve. But it gives us a hint as to what their office or ministry might have been. Unlike the elders where there's a lot to say about who they are and what they do, there's not much given about deacons. But we get some hint, I think, here in Acts chapter 6. It says, Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews who had been saved, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said to them, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Um, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the, the apostles were the leaders of the early church. And as they died out, the, Paul and others were appointing elders in every church. The elders became the leaders. But the deacons were men like this. They were to be uh, men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And the, the apostles appointed them over this business. And it's just from that phrase that we get some hint as to what they were going to do. The problem was that a certain segment of the huge congregation there was not getting ministered to the way they should have been. It was an administrative issue. And so many have taken this to mean that Deacons, therefore, should serve in some kind of administrative role in uh, taking care of the business part of the church so the elders can focus on the word and prayer and the spiritual ministry of feeding the flock. But another way of looking at this is that um, the problem was that it was a, uh, a personal problem for certain individuals who were in need and so the role of deacons would be to taking care of the physical needs especially of the congregation while the elders took care of the spiritual needs so two different ways of looking at it one is administrative and the other is more people person ministry but I think it's really both of those both an administrative role with a view towards the needs, physical needs especially, of the church. 
But we're not told in the rest of Scripture how that happened, how it worked out. But so deacons serve under the oversight of the elders in ways which help minister to the needs of the church family. And I think that the lack of specific directions here throughout the New Testament gives churches some latitude in how it will work out in their particular context. What works best for this church in this context, in other words. There's some latitude in that. And then, back to Philippians 1. Paul's talking about not only the great shepherd of the church, the true leader of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, but also the under-shepherds, especially the elders and also the deacons. But he's writing to the saints, the ones who have been saved, who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, the sheep. And the great shepherd is concerned for his, his sheep, to all the saints, to all the the sheep, in other words, in the fold there in that church. So how are the sheep, the members of the church, to respond to this God-ordained leadership? Well, there are a couple of verses I just want to point out. Here is uh, Hebrews thirteen seventeen, which says that the, the sheep are to obey those who rule over you. They rule, the elders rule over you, but not in their own authority. Elders have no authority in themselves. Our only authority comes from God, and as we proclaim His Word. This Word is authoritative. He is authoritative. And so as we are in tune with God, the Lord Jesus Christ, His Word, by the Spirit, that's that's the right to then rule. So, but we're called to obey those who rule over you and be submissive. Literally, to place yourself under. It's a passive imperative. Place yourself under them. Something you must do voluntarily. Place yourself under. The explanation here is, for they watch out for your souls. They have a definitive purpose in watching out for your spiritual well-being, watching out for your souls. Notice this. As those who must give an account, elders are going to give an account to God for how they have led His church. That's a daunting responsibility. And so let them do this with joy and not with grief. For that would not be profitable for you. Or 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Recognize, or that could be translated respect, those who labor among you, who are over you in the Lord. Those who labor among you. You know, it is not uncommon for our elders to, to spend 15 to 20 hours a week in ministry uh, for this body. They labor in love for you. So recognize those who 
labor among you. And who are over you, notice, in the Lord. They're not over you because they're better than you. They're not over you because they're better looking than you. They're over you simply in the Lord because this is what the Lord says. It's His church. Here's how He has arranged it. Over you in the, in the Lord. And admonish you. And esteem them very highly in love. This should be a loving relationship as the elders love the church, love the flock and minister to them. And the flock in return should esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. And be at peace among yourselves. So how does this work out in church life? Let's think practically here for a moment. Let's say that the elders work together as a team. They study and they pray and they discuss an idea and then they, they finally come to a conclusion together in unity. This is what we believe God would have us do. How are you as a church member to think about that? What weight does that have with you? What weight should it have? Is it just their opinion compared to your opinion? You might say something like, well, that's what all those elders think, but I think whatever. Let me suggest you reword that in your own thinking a little bit to that's what all those God-ordained leaders who are following the Word of God think. But I think puts a little bit different spin on it. And by the way, this is, uh, brings up the importance of choosing elders wisely, doesn't it? We want men who meet the qualifications of an elder as 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 point out. It's imperative that they do. That they might be the men the Holy Spirit will raise up to serve this body of believers. And when God raises them up, then we recognize God's role in this, His sovereignty over the church, that He is ruling and how He's ruling is in this way. Then as Hebrews 13 says, obey those who rule over you and be submissive. Well, is it okay to have questions or concerns? Absolutely. And the elders here welcome any questions you have, any concerns that you might have. Please come to them. Um, we've been asking for input here lately, the last uh, three or four weeks, and we've gotten some great uh, communication from you. We appreciate all of that. Well, what if, the, what if the elders make a mistake? Think that might happen? Well, let me ask you, are you going to make any mistakes this year? Maybe a few. You think these men will make a mistake? They, 
I guarantee you, the elders are mere men. They will make mistakes because they're not perfect. But imagine yourself like if you are a husband and a father, let's say, you're the spiritual head of your home, gets the position God has placed you in. Have you ever made a mistake? Or will you? But does that mean you're no longer the spiritual head of the home? This is where grace comes in, right? But what if they, what if the way they're leading is not biblical? Then it is the responsibility of the church to use this to say, wait a minute, this is what the word says. And we are accountable to this word, to follow this, to live by this, to lead by this. So if anything that the elders say is not according to this word, against this word, then it's your responsibility to bring it to our intention. Um, well, what if um, it's not necessarily a biblical issue at all? As most things fall into this category, they're not you know, black and white biblical issues, but it's a matter of structure or procedure or methodology or preference. Then what? What does the Bible say? Obey those who rule over you in the Lord and place yourself under. Be submissive. Now let me say in summary that that God holds the leadership accountable to Him. And they will give an account. God holds the leadership accountable to Him. We hold the leadership accountable to the Bible. And God's ho- God holds us accountable to the leadership. You say that one more time. God holds the leadership accountable to Him. We hold the leadership accountable to to the Bible, God holds us accountable to the leadership. Let's pray. Lord, this is your church, your blood-bought believers, those who have come to you confessing their sin and receiving your forgiveness, who now belong to you. We are your sheep and you are our great shepherd And all that we do, Lord, we want to recognize you as the Lord of our lives and the Lord of this church and to do all that we do for your glory, including, Lord, even how we we think about and do leadership here. Though we are imperfect human beings, you are the perfect Lord and Savior. And so we bow before you, we place ourselves in your hands, we pray that you would bind us together in you and uh, direct our hearts to truly serve you in unity and in love and see the great things that you have for us. May you be glorified in it all, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.